AdCast listeners, I want to welcome someone else uh, that we have on the podcast, another creative mastermind, a creative genius. He's going to try and live it down. He already told me that before we started the call. His name is Mr. Nick Bailey, and Nick is actually the CEO of Future Factor. And just to tell you a little bit about Future Factor, and then I'm going to let Nick tell you about who he is and what the company does. Uh, Future Factor is a global communications consultancy that helps creative innovators and ambitious brands identify, articulate, and amplify a leadership position. How many people did it take to write that one, Nick? Well, you know, good uh, positioning stuff is generally never written by committee, but I'm lucky enough to work with a fantastic uh, force of nature of a woman called Kerry Finch. She founded this business about 12 years ago. And she and and I uh, hunkered ourselves down in her apartment and uh, and got to a point finally that we were happy with this stuff. And I guess is it something we do for our own clients? We needed to be happy with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't seem like sometimes that's the best way that things come out when you actually hunker down and put pen to paper and just really start thinking. Sometimes the best ideas come out, the best strategies, and and you're just so focused, no distractions whatsoever. Well, you know what? I, I, I originally went to art school, and the thing that I learned there is creativity needs space. You know, you've got you've to give yourself space and time and a bit of distance to so let your mind roll over stuff. You know, creativity mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't emerge from, from a pressured process. Creativity emerge from, emerges from a process of liberation and of, of freedom and of, mm-hmm. of space, you know, and that's something that's hard to do in pressured businesses and pressured organizations, but it's something that it's really critical that you do in pressured businesses and pressured organizations. Totally agree. You know, I read something a while ago, Nick, and it said that uh, one of the best things that you can actually do for creatives is give them time and the resources, the unlimited resources to be able to do exactly what they need to do. You give those things to a creative and you can sometimes get the best work ever. Um, you know, Nick, you know, for those people who've never heard of you, of your company, or even some of the work, cause I know you've been influential in some brands that people are familiar with like Airbnb, uh, tell me, tell people exactly who you are, you know, how you got started and, and, and a little bit about your company, if that's okay. Uh, sure. Of course. Well, future factor has been around in, in various forms for, as I say, for about 12 years. Uh, and we're just all around helping people find their story. And everybody has a unique and powerful story that is true to them. Mm-hmm. Um, we started as a business working almost exclusively with creative businesses, helping them amplify what it is that's brilliant and great about them um, through editorial, through earned media, through storytelling. Now we work with a mix of brands and creative businesses and it it really is simple it's about distilling what is brilliant about a group of people about an organization and turning that into some language that everybody can get behind everybody feels invested in um, and creates a, a, a powerful tool for turning what goes on behind the scenes into something that people can get excited about in front of the scene. So we ha- we help get folks on stages. Mm-hmm. We help them with the stories that they tell on stages. We help them create really powerful editorial. We help engage with media and get get them get them into the media, um, delivering the messages that that are critical and important to them. Well, Nick, I mean that's a that's such great point. So I want to ask you this question: Do you feel like? Uh, uh, being creative has gotten more difficult. And the reason I ask, I, I ask that question is because there's so many things that are vying for our attention nowadays, you know? So it, it, it's almost like you can't make it too long. You, you have to make it interesting. It has to be realistic. Has, cre- has it gotten harder for creatives lately? Um, well, you asked, to, the first question was, is it harder being creative? And I think the answer to that is no. And in fact, what's, really exciting for for me now that i'm kind of getting on in years is seeing how uh particularly young people coming into the world of creativity have so many powerful tools at their disposal for making really fantastic 
emotionally resident, powerful, creative work. You know, when back when I was at art school, it was you know you wanted to take photos. You, you had to you had to have a ton of money to do that. You had to buy an SLR camera. You had to develop film. You know, it was making videos, making films was really hard. So the tools of creativity um, are more varied and more powerful than ever before, and I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Is it is it is it harder to deliver uh is it harder to work as a creative in a commercial environment i don't know that it's harder i think it's maybe um more competitive i think it's more complex um i think it's uh probably harder to judge breakthrough powerful work too because there's just more out there you know mm -hmm. what what's better is it the big um, multi-million dollar uh, TV spot uh, that you see in the Super Bowl or some brilliant, smart bit of creativity that you see on a mm -hmm. TikTok series, mm -hmm. you know? it. And, and how does that latter thing um, stand up alongside work that's more more um, resourced, you know? So I, th I think it's just a more complex picture, not necessarily more difficult picture no and you bring up a great point you talked about the tools like how you do have a lot more tools now uh, but you know you can have the tools but then there's also the content part of it that has to resonate with people and i think great creative in my opinion has to really touch people to be able to move them to either act or or, or stand behind something so so you know as far as creating now uh, I know it's easier because of the tools, but do you feel like uh, there are so many different opinions and uh, to be able to create? And, and, I, and I, use that, uh, I use that because um, one of the great comedians like in the U.S. was like a, like a Richard Pryor, a Red Fox, those guys. But you can't use that type of comedy today because it may seem offensive, you know? There's a ton of stuff in, in, in that question. I think, it's, I think it's a great point that you make. Um, you know, the hardest, one of the things that gets in the way of creativity, um, paradoxically, can be other creatives' work, actually. Wow. So when you, particularly as a writer, um, sometimes you've got to kind of isolate yourself and trust your own creative capability uh, and not allow yourself to get influenced by stuff that's kind of coming in from outside. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, your, your point perhaps about, you know, yeah, yes, there are all these tools, but of course, creativity has to touch people and resonate with people emotionally a thousand percent. And of course, a tool isn't going to make anyone into a good creative if they're not a good creative. And creativity is about bringing together threads of things that um, have perhaps have influenced you in your past, your particular unique perspective on the world. And that's the important bit, right? Every human being has a completely unique perspective on the world. Really brilliant, creative people have a gift, an ability to take that perspective, take perhaps some in influences from the things that they see around them in the world and the tools that they have as a creative individual and bring those things together and shine a light yeah. on the world in a way that people haven't seen before. So if you take a comedian like you know Richard Pryor back in the day, he was shining a light on a shared experience, but through a lens that was 100% unique to him. Great point. Created Great point. A, a kind of route into people's hearts uh, and exploded into into a powerful cultural impact now you know your point about well there's certain things you can't do or say now or it's more difficult to do or say because there are kind of in increased sensitivities but also increased awareness i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing mm -hmm. you know as, as a queer person coming up through the ad industry you know when i was in my 20s in the 90s you know mm -hmm. there was all kinds of stuff that was said in my hearing inside agencies that I just kind of sucked up and put up with uh, yeah. quite I, rightly. I'm sorry you had to go through that too, man. Well, you know, it's, it's not, it's hardly unique to me, you know, and lots of, lots of, lots of folks from all kinds of backgrounds that experience this stuff. And I think that um, coming to creative work with a degree of sensitivity for, you know, who's going to encounter that and understanding, well, what, what is, what does that mean when, 
I put this out into the world. Um, how is that going to land for somebody? I think that's important, but yeah. uh, there's a there's a caveat to that, which is, you know, you creativity does demand a degree of uh, courage, bravery, and freedom, and um, and also sometimes provocation. And the, I think the kind of rule of thumb that is pretty effective and universal is punch up, but don't punch down. You know, people in positions of power who choose to direct their, uh, you know, their, their, their criticism or their, you know, what they may feel to be their insights at people, people who have less power than they do, mm-hmm. not okay. People who come from a position of, you know, relatively little power, yeah, by all means, punch up. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. Point point out the weaknesses and point, I love point that. Out. I love that term. I love that term. Punch up, but don't punch down. Uh, how about empathy? You have to have some empathy, right? Well, I don't think you can be creative if you don't have empathy. You know, uh, I, I I read a fantastic uh, uh, insight the other day. I can't remember where, which was that people who read books, people who read novels. Um, are more empathic, become more empathic. So the more you read about other people's experiences, the more empathic you become. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love, I think there's something unique actually about the power of writing, really good writing to connect you with other people's experiences. You know, I'm sure we all remember books that we read, you know, it could even be a kid's book that, Absolutely. Or, or, or a book that you read as a teen that suddenly opened your mind to, an experience that you hadn't considered before. Uh, and it, and it, 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 it's this sort of magic route into another person's experience. And that's what creativity and art can do. That's what commercial creativity can do. And, you know, to your point about touching people emotionally, that can happen in a, in a TV spot where suddenly you're transported into another person's experience. That could be through humor. It could be funny. It could be through pathos it could be something that makes you feel tearful mm-hmm. um it could be through joy or uh or inspiration you might be watching a sports person and suddenly feel that energized and inspired to do something brilliant yourself mm-hmm. when that happens that's kind of a piece of magic and it happens because of a thousand critical decisions made by the creative teams responsible for for delivering that work and you see that when you look at work side by side you know you can go well you know how come this ad for nike just gave me the feels and right (laughs) you know but i have the kind of goosebumps but i watched this ad by another brand and it was also about a sports person i just kind of felt like nothing yeah and that's you know it's the magic of it yeah and and there goes the brand you know there goes the brand uh, you know, we had a conversation, you know, with some other folks before talking about the logo versus the brand where some people would think the logo is the brand, but there's a difference. And like you talked about Nike or Nike gives you that feel versus a Reebok ad, right? It's, it's the, it's the feel that they give you and you have, you have that feeling towards the brand and your brand experience is a little different, you know? Um, well, you know, I was fortunate enough to work on Nike for a, a number of years. And, you know, and in fact, it was early in my career. So it kind of spoiled me a little bit for working on any other brand because I just thought, oh, this is normal. And then I started uh, yeah. working on other brands. I was like, oh, my God, these people I miss don't Nike. know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what works incredibly well for Nike is, you know, I, talk, I, 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 I love to think about companies uh, in terms of the like the dictionary definition of a company, which has nothing to do with a commercial organization. It's a company mm-hmm. is a group of people engaged on a common purpose, right? Wow. If you think of a company in that way, all of the other complexities falls around away. And what Nike does very effectively is rally around its common pers- purpose, which is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And there's that little asterisk, which says, if you have a body, you are an athlete, right? Mm-hmm. That is all you need. So every stakeholder in Nike <clears throat> knows that their job is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. So that when they look at a piece of creative work from an agency, all they need to do is ask themselves that question. Is this bringing inspiration or innovation to a person who is motivated to excel or do better or make their body move? Yeah. And if you can't answer that question in the affirmative, then the work isn't good enough. And that's why a business with, which, which has the scale of Nike consistently, consistently, consistently produces work that resonates with people, people who have bodies, who are athletes, who aspire 
to play sport <clears throat> and it you know there's there's never a there's never a wrong note and that is because it's a group of people engaged in a common purpose and they all know what that purpose is i've almost no other brands have that sense of of uh, of single-minded direction that's their uh, formula and, that's their yeah. formula you know and that's what inspired you know it's one of the things that inspired me to 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 build the business that, that I'm building together with Kerry and, and Sarah and the team, which is, uh, you know, the, the power, the purpose. And I don't mean purpose just in, in the sense that it's often used in this mm-hmm. industry, which is something to do with, you know, sustainability and doing good. You know, a purpose is, you know, what you're on the, on this planet to do. And the power of that is uh, uh, delivers over and above anything else for, for an organization, for people, um, whether that's culturally or commercially, if you understand what your purpose is, you can do anything. Man, Nick, you you make such a great point. And, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up that part because uh, like our company, we were 12 years old and it wasn't until we got to like year nine or 10 where we said, what is our purpose? Because a lot of time we think like the, the, the purpose of our company is just for profit, but people, people are working for you in the best years of their lives. And they don't want to just consistently work for per, for profit. It's like having a purpose. So, so like creative has to have a purpose as well. Um, you talked about, you know, Nike and how they made you feel. And you said you talked about them as being a brand and how you worked with creatives and then you worked with brands. What's the big difference between working with the two? Because you've worked with creatives and then you've also worked with brands as well. So what's the big difference for you? Um, I wish I could, it's a great question and I wish I could answer it simply, but I'm really struggling to see that there is a big difference because when you boil it back, everybody's a human being and everybody wants the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, they want to feel that they as an, as an individual have a purpose that they understand what they're here to do. They want to feel heard. They want to feel actualized. Um, they and and they want to feel that they're part of something bigger. You know, I think that's such a natural human wow. drive. So when we work with you know with creative companies, of course, they're motivated by um, perhaps slightly different things to to a brand, but not always. You know, if if you work with a brand that is a product driven brand, you know, we'll say say Airbnb that we work with, yep. um, actually on, on, on their diversity and inclusion agenda, you know, that, that is a brand built around a, uh, a tech product initially, mm-hmm. but it's become a brand that is all about um, experience and belonging. Um, and a lot of the founder-led businesses that we work with and the tech businesses that we work with that are, that are younger businesses experience that trajectory that you talked about. You know, they begin with an idea for a product. Um, perhaps some folks make a bunch of money, so they're motivated. They feel good about that. Mm-hmm. Then they build a company around that product or that service. And the people who uh, become part of that company in that organization, well, they're motivated by something different. They need yeah. to believe in something, and you know, someone else's, um, you know, shareholder value. It's not particularly motivating <laughs> for anyone. Um, you know, perhaps not even for the person who's holding the shares. So, you know, in, in the end, it's a bit of an empty objective. You know, that's not what life is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that uh, often we say we work with companies at a pivot point, and often that is the pivot point where they go, you know, what we built this thing, it was really successful, and it kind of kind of grew beyond our uh, ability sort of to understand we didn't expect this to happen and here we yeah. are um and now we've got this bunch of people and they're looking to us and saying okay you know lead tell us you know tell us where we're going next and we kind of don't know where we're going next because we're here you know because we had this this, this sort of unexpected success and we here we are we have some momentum um and that's that's where digging down and finding that authentic truth is so important because it is always there. You know, when we, you talk to founders of companies, often they come into a room and you, and you talk to three people and they all give you a different answer. Right. But then you cook together in a room for half a day or a day and suddenly 
always, always, always this happens, which is the, the reason that I'm motivated and I go to work every day because it's such a magical feeling when it happens. You get this moment where people go, oh, no, that that is actually why we're doing this. That is the essence of what we're doing. And it felt more complicated than maybe it was. And, you know, this feels powerful and this feels simple. And, you know, that that's a magic moment. And that is really feels very similar to mm-hmm. the process of developing ideas in the context of working in agencies, which I, which I did for many years, where you, where you get to that point where suddenly what felt confusing and difficult and complicated just suddenly feels simple. And that's when you know you've got a good idea. That's awesome. You, 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 there's a statement that you guys had, and it was, uh, it said, great, great reputations are earned, not bought. Uh, tell tell me about that. Let's let's dive into that a little more. That's as short as that is. It's is it's very powerful. So I want to hear I want to hear what you have to say about that one. Well, I think you know. Again, I've, I'm talking from the position of someone who's been doing this for two and a bit decades now, mm-hmm. and I think there was a time when you kind of could buy reputation because people couldn't look under the hood. Right. You know, in the days before social media, in the days even before the internet, which you know I could I can even remember um you know a business and a brand were what they told you they were and they could develop their story and they mm-hmm. could buy a bunch of eyeballs they could buy a bunch of media and they could tell you that story and people by and large believed it yeah you know it would it was very if a, if a company behaved badly you know it would take an investigative journalist, you know, digging under the, you oh, know, the, <laughs> digging yep. into the background of that organization to find that out. Right. And then that story would have to come out. Now, if a company puts a foot wrong, it's all over, you know, it's all over social media in mm-hmm. a heartbeat. But equally, if a company behaves honorably um, and simply shines a light on their behavior, that's a thousand times more powerful than advertising because you can't, you can't build a band purely through advertising anymore. It just uh, totally is impossible. And that's not about the world being cynical. It's just that what well, we can see, you know, everybody's living in a, in a, in a glass house. Uh, we can see through the walls and we know what you're doing, which is why brand behavior is so much more critical. And which is why one of the reasons I shifted into doing what I'm doing now, because, you know, I recognize that, you know, stories, branding, behavior, we're all one and the same thing. Uh, it's all visible. It's our job to, you know, to f- find a way of focusing the light onto what is happening inside those glass walls, you know, not to invent something out of thin air and sort of show it to folks and say, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for. Look over here. This, yeah. this is what we want you to see because, you know, it doesn't work. Uh, you know, I love that term. I haven't heard anybody bring it up lately about brand behavior and that you just can't buy, you know, the perception of your brand through the advertising. Um, and, and you also brought up a topic that I, I want to punch on, if that's okay. And we talked about the uh, um, diversity and inclusion because, sure. you know, we didn't hear about this in 2019. It wasn't, it wasn't talked about, you know. Um, is this something where you feel like this is just – hey, let's just be part of some DI initiative, diversity and inclusion initiative right now, or this is something that's here to stay? Well, I hope it's here to stay. You know, I think there's a bunch of cynicism around it. I think, you know, maybe some organizations are are sort of paying lip service to it. But I, by and large, I think that what companies are doing is heartfelt. Um, You know, I think... One of the things I used to talk about, you know, I, I, I was part of the um, um, group at Cam Lions that where that when we uh, the team at Cam Lions mm-hmm. put together the first glass line, which is which was a few years ago now, and that was that was to celebrate work that that, that focused on gender equality, and you know at the time that felt kind of niche and surprising. Um, and, you know, this was before the whole sort of Me Too movement and stuff. And it had a few people kind of scratching their heads. But in the time since that initiative, you, you I've seen a massive difference in terms of the um, visibility of different communities in advertising. And, you know, wow. people who work in advertising, I think, have recognized late in the game that they are powerful influencers of culture. 
And, you wow. know, you've only got to see the sort of backlash and the haters. You know, there was an ad that ran in the UK for a big supermarket group, Sainsbury's, um, and it was the Christmas ad. And for the first time, um, it was, there was a, a family of color in the Christmas ad. And there was wow. a huge... Like man, bunch of haters, and you know that's Nick, me. You're blowing me. You're blowing me away right now. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. So, so I think you know, if you work in an industry that influences culture, you it's not a it's not a, a tick box exercise. You have a responsibility to positively influence culture, and if the work that you're doing is not positively influenced if it's neutral or negatively influencing culture you have to take responsibility for that too and i think within organizations the same thing applies if you're in a position of power in an organization the decisions that you make drive cultural change so sure you can hire somebody that looks like you that you you know maybe you met at a conference you got on you had a few beers together i think it's great that we are being challenge to think about the kind of processes that we have in place and how those processes can um, uh, be perhaps inadvertently influenced by by unconscious bias and you're thinking okay yeah you know that uh, is our interview process is our HR process as transparent as it could be are we favoring different kinds types of individuals over right. others without realizing we're doing it and the same thing actually goes for creative Sorry, this is a super long answer, but I'm just going to keep going. No, no, no. This, <laughs> this is great. Uh, this is great because this uh, something similar to this came up in another episode. So I, I, I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say. So please continue. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing goes for, for creative cultures in organizations. So, you know, I worked in creative teams for 20 years or so. And, you know, one of the things that can happen in an, in an agency, um, and it's a subtle thing that happens, is that, you know, you have your creative teams are can be very hierarchical and they're also you know their own little sort of fiefdoms they're their own little kingdoms and often the other parts of the agency don't are sort of afraid to touch it because they feel like oh you know we can't we can't interfere with the magic which is great if they are well run but it does mean that the bad habits creep into those cultures and they they're sort of there to stay now if you think about the way that creative ideas are nurtured and then um, sort of grow through the process, there's an awful lot of, of, of kind of negotiation that happens. So you may have a group situation where work is presented and people, maybe young creative teams are presenting their ideas. Well, is it the best idea that gets elevated or is it the idea that's presented by the most articulate and the most persuasive team? And is the most articulate and persuasive team articulate and persuasive because they're more talented or is it because they went to a particular type of school and had a particular type of education and exactly. had a particular level of confidence that lets them stand up in front of a group of 20 people and uh, believe in their work and believe in their capability enough to tell that story mm -hmm. is there brilliant work that never even gets seen because that that person doesn't have that belief because you know what throughout their childhood they were told they're not good enough throughout their childhood, they were told that they don't belong in that kind of environment. So not only do you have to fight your way into that environment, you have to fight your way through that environment if you're not a person who's been equipped by the experiences that they've had in childhood to prosper in an environment like that. Next, you've got the whole getting the work through to the client. You know, mm -hmm. So at every stage, it's, I think, incumbent on people who run creative organizations to really think about their processes and think about, okay, how are we ensuring that we're creating the conditions for people to be creative, A, but also we're creating the conditions for their creative work to be seen, really seen, and we're not creating inadvertent kind of uh, hierarchies and also boundaries that it's impossible to folks to jump through. And I think it's improving, but, you know, when I think back to the, the creative processes, you know, 15, maybe 20 years ago, you know, it, it, it was extremely kind of dog eat dog, and, you know, dog yes. being all the blokes. Very you know, ma mad, mad menish. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, guys with loud voices, um, you know, not very many women and not, not and not a lot of diversity so um and you know that's a self-perpetuating 
condition. You know, you create that culture and that culture just copies itself and copies itself and copies itself unless you intervene. So, you know, your point about DE&I, absolutely. You you need processes because otherwise the, the, the biases replicate themselves. You know, it's, and, it, you know, nobody, it can happen without anybody even knowing that they're doing it, but you need to, you know, you've, you've got a sort of gravitational pull in one direction. You need to push the other way so that those voices uh, are heard. I, you know, I it's, love that. it's, it's it's a scary place for somebody who does who perhaps doesn't feel confident or who more importantly feels that they don't belong you know so the inclusion part is the most important part is the most important part is when you invite people into your organization who are in a minority if those people feel that they're conditionally there uh, or they're there but they're they're only there you know because of a DNI exercise, you know, for example, which is the, right. like the worst of all outcomes. Yeah, uh, and yeah. you may as well not bother to do it. The inclusion part is the most important part. I, I do agree. Uh, you know, I told you I had this uh, kind of a little bit of this conversation before. Uh, and we were talking about just with creatives, like how, you know, everyone felt like every model in an ad had to be perfect you know? Yeah. And, and, and nowadays it's just not realistic. Not everyone, you know, like uh, for instance, Hardee's used to have like all the girls in bikinis eating giant burgers and, and they were probably vegan mm. and it was just, and now they don't run those type of ads anymore. Um, and, and I just see it like now and it's, it's, it's such a big change. And I feel like if it was not paid attention to, then some of the best ideas in the world would be left out for sure. A thousand percent. So, I know I keep saying this, and you know why that is, you know, you know why it used to be that way, because, you know, who's making those decisions? Yeah. Now, you know, if you ever went into a, you know, the, the, the people, well, there's the people casting the models, there's the people shooting the models, mm-hmm. then uh, there's the clients making the decisions about who's cast and who's shot. You know, if they all, if those people all look the same and, you know, guess what, none of them are women, it's going to end up a certain way. And then even, Absolutely. and I think what, what's fascinating about that world, you know, if you went into a post-production house, you know, in the, in the, in the noughties, you know, and you looked at the desk of people retouching, they would all have been kind of a bunch of bros, you know, and these are the people making the decisions about, and they're unsupervised mainly, you know, you've got a kind of, some creative oversight but you've got someone sitting there going okay well how much of this person's body am i going to slice off with my cropping tool you know how much texture am i going to remove from this skin you know how much frankly am i going to change the color of this skin which which happens in those post-production processes wow and you've got these people making decisions you know they're not there's no oversight and and and, you know if you kind of line these folks up you know, they, they, it would be dominated by a particular kind of type of individual. And that's why, you know, the, the drive to have more diverse teams creates the kind of outcomes that you're talking about, because suddenly the decision makers are different. Suddenly you've got a team of retouchers and, you know, certainly not half of them, but at least some of them are women. At least mm-hmm. some of them are going, hang on, why did you just make that choice? <laughs> you know, and, and this went on for years without any, with, without, you know, I mean, in fact, the first, big brands to really question it you know god love them was you know unilever with dove and campaign for real beauty and you know it must be what 15 years ago or more that amazing time lapse piece of of that model being retouched and i think it wasn't until that moment that there was really a uh collective sort of intake of breath and people really certainly from a general public perspective i think in the industry knew but the general public going oh my god you know this stuff that I'm looking at, it's just not real. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh, man. Uh, great, great, great answers. I loved every bit of it. I, I loved every, every bit of it. Um, I, I want to talk about some of the work that you guys are doing right now and mm-hmm. what, what you guys are really passionate about right now. Um, you guys are actually helping creative companies, tech innovators, and ambitious brands be the best version of themselves. Yet another powerful statement um, I want to leave that there and I want to pause that right there and then, you know, ask you when you begin to partner with a brand, do you make sure that they're a good fit for you before moving forward? Or do you just say, Hey, you know, we have to get the bag, you know, let's go after them. Um, so how do you do it? 
Um, you know what, with a really simple principle. So we, we have some sort of internal values that we talk about. And the one around our clients is we work with companies we respect on, on projects we believe in, you know, and that's it. pretty easy. You know, ask us, we can each ask ourselves that question. Um, you know, can we respect certain types of businesses? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, probably not. But those two sides give us a real, um, uh, give us some opportunity to reflect, which is really important because sometimes a business might come to you, you know, you might say, oh, as a matter of principle, we're never going to work with brand X. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. But what if brand X comes to you and says, you know what, we realize we've got a real issue. You know, there's this aspect of our business that we want to change. Uh, and we want you to be that change for us. Okay, well, then that's a fascinating question. And that's arisen for us, you know, a couple of times. We go, okay, well, if you were to ask me before, I'd be like, oh, no, I don't want to work with that right. brand. But you actually say to me now, do I respect these people, this company, you know, thinking about that definition I gave you earlier of a company? Yes, I do. Do I believe in this brief? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. So, you know what, we're going to take this on. At the end of the day, we, uh, as a leadership team, need to be able to stand up to our people and say, Hey folks, we're going to work on this now. If if somebody if somebody in the team says to me, "Can you defend that?" If mm -hmm. I can't answer that question, right. then you know I've I've got no right sitting in the chair that I'm in. How, how important is a good team to you, Nick? Um, well, well, there's no company without a good team, you know. It, it, and again, you know, I'll, I'll say it again. You know, a company is a group of people engaged in a common purpose. You know, a company isn't the leaders. Uh, you know, a company isn't the building, a company isn't the process, a company is the people. Um, you know, and uh, you said it earlier, you know, people give their, you know, their best years yeah. to their jobs. Yeah. Um, they, I, if you can't look at somebody in the eye and go, you know, I think this is the best place for you to be right now, you know, then what kind of a human being are you? So, wow. yes, the team is important. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, you get a 30 year old who's been with you for six years, they spend 20, 20% 20 of their life with you. That's I know. a lot. That's <laughs> so a marriages lot. marriages don't last that long. Exactly. That's, that's a lot, you know. Um, you know, Nick, tell me, I mean, what's on the horizon for you guys right now? What's on the horizon for you guys? Well, you know, I think the prediction game is always is sort of lit, littered with uh, folks who uh, got stuff wrong. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the prediction game, but what I will say is um, – We've really, well, our name is Future Factor. You know, we're really excited about the future. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you'd have said to me, you know, two years ago, okay, uh, this horrible pandemic is going to come, yeah. you know, yeah. what, what's that going to do to you? Now, of course, that's not something anybody can feel excited or positive about. Um, it's been a horrendous tragedy for many, many millions of people. Yes. But what has been inspiring about the last two years is seeing the power of what happens when, when people come together, you know, in, in, in helping each other um, engaged in a, in a, in a common purpose to get through this. And, you know, i never fail to be inspired by human uh, optimism and human energy and human creativity so, you know, the, the, the business that we are in um, is fueled by that. You know, people come to us because they want to be better. They come yes. to us because they want to grow. They come to us because they believe in what they're doing. And, that you know, to your, you know, you, you fired our language back to us. They want to be the best version of themselves. Yes. Um, we, you know, we live in a world right now that is just beset by challenges. You know, there's a... A huge amount of uncertainty there's a huge amount of um fear about the future you know and quite rightly so in in many re many respects mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the thing that is going is, is, is going to drive us forward is human ingenuity is optimism is energy and you know we are in the human ingenuity optimism and energy business so you know when i look to the future you know, I, I, I see a ton of opportunity and I see a ton of things to be optimistic about. 
I see a ton of stuff that makes me anxious. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, I read the news. I'm a human being. Um, you know, I'd be, I'd be kind of nuts if I, if I wasn't, um, uh, anxious about the future, but, um, this sort of journey that we're all on together is, uh, more of a positive journey than it is a negative journey. You know, so I, I, I feel excited about what's coming. How, how has it changed you? You personally, uh, you told me a little bit about the company, but how does it change you personally, Nick? Um, that's a, that's a really good question too. It's given um, me more space and time, you know, to reflect on, on what's important. You know, uh, I'm really fortunate in that, that none of the people close to me or my loved ones have, have been um, badly affected. I mean, we've all been uh, affected in, in, in small ways here and here and there, both mm-hmm. by the COVID itself and the impact of COVID. So I've been really fortunate in that respect. So it's taught me gratitude and it's, um, it's given me space and time to, to, to reflect on, on what matters. And also actually it's reconnected me with, um, you know, what matters to me creatively. So, you know, I, when I'm not working, I write creatively as well. So it gave me time to yeah, write. I was going to ask to, you that. To, to turn out a couple of novels, which I'm in the process of trying to sell. So it, it gave me gave me the time to do that, which I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have done otherwise. Do, do you feel like, uh, you know, because, you know, us, you know, we, we had went into this like 5,000 square foot, you know, building with our studio and everything in our offices and our people. Uh, and then in January of this year, we decided to take the entire company virtual. And there was this question that creatives can't create unless they're in the room together. Do you believe that? No, I don't. I don't. You know, I think that certain, like magic can happen when you're in a room together, but equally it can happen when you're conversing in you know different ways. I mean, thank goodness, you know, one of the things that Mm-hmm. You know, I was reflecting on is like, <laughs> imagine if this pandemic had happened not in 2020, but in 2010, uh, where, you know, we didn't have technology. Was, yeah. And the tech wouldn't, the collaboration technology wasn't there. You know, I, my, my memories of those days is running around with, you know, key drives being confused about which version of the keynote presentation we were working on and like realizing you had the wrong run in the back of the cab on the way to the pitch, you know, all that. Oh crazy my God. Stuff, right? <laughs> like, you know, a simple thing like everybody working on on Google Workspace and being able to collaborate, a simple thing like everybody being able to talk. And, you know, it was invaluable for for, for me personally, you know, but mm-hmm. my my sister, who I'm very close to, lived, lived was in the UK. I was in the Netherlands. She fell pregnant at the beginning of COVID. The whole pregnancy had the baby, wasn't there for any of it. But because we could talk over, over Zoom, wow. I felt connected. And, and, you know, so in many respects, what a terrible thing that's happened to the world, but what a lucky thing that it happened when it did and not 10 years before. Um, so when it comes to creating companies in imaginative new ways, I think um, it's, it's, it's unlocked and unleashed possibilities that we hadn't considered before. I think, of course, there's a value to human connection and being together. And if you are operating primarily across know video conferencing and stuff it's just important that you manage that and you get outdoors and you you know you don't spend your whole time in front of a screen but you know like i said if you've got that shared purpose you could you know a company could be a thousand people who are all a thousand miles away from each other if they all understand what they're doing and and why you have a really strong powerful sense of cohesion you know uh, i think there are businesses that that they're all in one building that don't have that, you know, that, that folks don't feel connected to and don't feel um, that they have a stake in. So it's not a question of proximity. It's mm-hmm. a question of uh, belief. Yeah, you know, I heard something uh, someone said. He said, you know, the relationships at work, they're not built at meetings. They're built in between the meetings, you know. That's how you build the relationship with you, with, uh, with people. Um, you know, I, I'm just, I enjoyed this conversation so much. So I hope I didn't, you know, grill you with a bunch of questions, you know, but you know, there's, there's one big question that I want to ask you and you talk, you and I talked about it before the camera started rolling, you know, and that is by ad week saying that you are the most, one of the most influential people in 2011. Tell me how that came about and tell me, what does that mean to you? 
Um, well, it meant a lot of the time. Um, you know, it's a long time ago now, but at the time I was working at a, a, a really um, self-influential company called AKQA. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and Adweek were looking around the world at like, who's doing the work that is really driving change? And it so happened that I was working on, on the brand Heineken at the time. And, um, you know, and as I, I said to you before we started the conversation that, you know, these, these sorts of endorsements, of course, are, you know, flattering and powerful and, and you know, can, can make a big difference to a person. But it's the, mm -hmm. it's the organization that you're part of and the team around you that makes, makes this stuff possible. Um, so the work that we were doing on, on, on Heineken was about bringing together lots of things that were sort of, um, uh, you know, the driving change in the industry at that moment. So we were looking at, you know, mobile gaming um, for a beer brands we were looking at, and it was, it was connected to the world of football. So we were creating a, uh, a, a real-time mobile game that you played while you were watching wow. the UEFA Champions League that, that Heineken sponsored. And you know that it, there are these sort of phenomena that are happening in, in digital and in creativity where folks are talking about stuff, talking about stuff, oh, the next thing's going to be X. Yeah. And then somebody does it and everyone's like, oh, wow, they actually pulled it <laughs> off and it actually worked. So I was fortunate enough to be um, part of the team and leading, leading the creative team in Amsterdam at the time that was making that happen. So, you know, and when you're, when you're the first at something, then you're always the first at something, you know, and oh. that's great because no one can kind of take it away from you. Now, you know, people are doing stuff that's just a, a billion times more yeah. uh, engaging and brilliant and fantastic. Um, but it's about sort of a, a, lot, a lot of this stuff, mate, you know, I'd love to say it's down to t talent and capability. But it's about being in the right place at the right time. Nick, how much do you feel like social media has just changed not only the way we communicate, but the way we create? Um, well, I think those two things are, uh, are um, inextricably linked. I think there's a, a, a ton of stuff that I'm kind of sad about in terms of the way that social media has changed the way that, that we communicate. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think that's a function of the way that though the organizations that run those platforms make their money. Um, I think it was probably unanticipated that uh, the attention economy as it's become known. There's a, there's a brilliant uh, book called the age of the surveillance economy, which, uh, it, and I forget the name of the author, so forgive me for that. That's okay. We'll, up, we'll, we'll, we'll find it and put it in the show yeah. notes too. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a sort of powerful, uh, powerfully observed view on the on the world of social media, and it sort of takes the view that look, our human attention is treated by the big platforms as if it's a kind of um, infinitely exploitable resource that they just have a right to. You know, like, wow. and she draws the parallel to you know back in the 19th century where companies said, oh, "Okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna dig for oil, and you know, when we find it, it belongs to us, and we get all the money." But you know, the oil belonged to countries, and you know, where where did all the wealth go? So that she draws that parallel, and I think it's a powerful one because if you think about that, how social platforms monetize your attention, yes. um, then the time you spend on those platforms, you start to look at it in a slightly different way. And then the way that the algorithm works to, to keep you there um, influences wow. the type of content that is financed and, the, and frankly, are all of our collective view on the world. And, you know, the unintended consequence of that is that divisive, provocative, negative content generates more income than positive content. Yes, it does. Um, and, you, you know, and, it's and, like the old, it's like the old thing, bad news travels fast, you know? Totally, you know, it makes more money. And, you know, one thing that sort of frustrates me about this sort of, frankly, I think slightly manufactured conflict between what's called the mainstream media and, you know, people who quote unquote do their own research. It's like, okay, but you're doing your own research via an algorithm that is from prioritizing yeah. Yeah, content that, 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 that um, is creating more clicks. You know, this is, this, is, this is not an objective view on reality. So I think that's really sad. Um, I think that there's an opportunity now that there's growing awareness around that to kind of begin to mitigate against that. And I think there's a parallel there with what I was saying about those, those uh, creative cultures is 
it, when you create that bias, it's self-replicating. And it's kind of a monster that sort of doubles itself, right? And mm -hmm. the only way to push against that is through regulation. Is you have to you have to actively push it, push back against it. And I think it's important that we who work in the industry, um, if as much as we can, use use our influence to push for that. Now, yeah, when it comes to creativity, um, of course, those platforms offer opportunities for people to build profiles and, and to, to monetize their capability um, uh, more than ever before. Uh, sorry, I just realized my Mac was not plugged in, which is just <laughs> such an amateur error. Um, sorry. So forgive me for the, being momentarily distracted. That's okay. Um, so it, it, it shines a window on creative people, uh, but I think that there, what I'd love to see more of is um, the building the power of community between creative people, because, you know, it's being, being a person who's trying to monetize their ability on a social channel today. It's a, it's a, it's a hard slog if you're a young creative person and it encourages uh, a kind of individualized competitive approach to being creative rather than something that's more about collaboration, you know, because if I'm building my uh, YouTube channel or my, or my TikTok channel, you know, I, I want more, I want more attention than you, you know, I'm mm -hmm. kind of sucked into mm -hmm. the whole sort of vortex. Uh, of the yeah, attention absolutely. Yep. Right. So that's make, I, I'm trying to kind of elbow everybody else out of the way. You know, it's great if you're the person in front, it's less good if you're the people behind. So I, I, you know, I think it sounds, it sounds like I'm quite down on it, but I think, um, I think there's an opportunity for us to be better. Nick, uh, here's my last question to you. Do you think it's better to make creative that is loved or respected oh wow <laughs> i want to cheat and say it's great to, it's better to create that something that's respected and loved um i think that our most powerful motivating force as human beings is emotional and you know if i was to boil that question down i'd say well really respect feels more rational than it feels emotional you know and if i was to look at something on paper and go well okay they did this, 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 and this, you know, I kind of, you know, respect mm -hmm. to that versus something that touches my heart, which I'm still going to be thinking about in five, 10, 15 years time. You know, that that's what creative work exists to do. In my view, you know, I talked to a few questions ago about, you know, the power of books, the power of literature to connect with people. You know, I still think about stuff that I read you know, it was a 14, 15 year old, you yeah. know, and I didn't, I didn't analyze that piece of writing and come to the view that I, I should respect it as a, as a solid piece of craft. You know, it touched me. And I think creative work that, that does that it is timeless and, and, and also will last forever. Man, I think that's the perfect way for us to be able to end this, you know, uh, Nick, man, you've been a great guest. I enjoyed the conversation so much. Uh, I look, look forward to me reaching out to you on LinkedIn for us staying connected. I really, I really appreciated the conversation. I enjoyed it so much. And I want to thank those who are out there listening to both Nick and I on the ad cast today. And if you feel this podcast has been good to you or a resource to you, please like it, share us and give us your best remarks as much as possible. And more than anything, we want to thank you for you giving us your most valuable asset, which is your time. It's one thing you can never buy and never get back. Uh, thank you. And this is the AdCast.